feel like especially blessed through the worship and through each part of today because this has been a week. Any of you, has it been a week for you? You know what I mean when I say that. I know, it's been a week for all of us. We've all gone through a week. But has it been a week for you? Um, the heaviness of heart uh, as our La Sierra University community has been, um, has suffered the loss of Jalen. And as we have been in our community praying for his parents, Mark and Mindy and Tommy, the chaplain, Pastor Tommy, the chaplain at Redlands Academy, lost his brother through all of the loss that has been close to home and all of the loss that we have been witnessing in Ukraine and Russia. You know, in the times that we go through, we experience the hardest part of being human and the heaviest part of being human. And then we also experience the, the best of human uh, action and behavior. And what we have witnessed also this week, besides the heaviness of heart, is we've seen an outpouring of love. And I've witnessed that close by as you have poured out love and prayers over the family that's closest here. And then also I've witnessed in our friends, Caleb, who served a year in Ukraine, and so as we've witnessed the pictures that our friends have been sending us from Ukraine, that they have been pouring out generosity and kindness and turning their homes and churches and schools into places of refuge where people have come as they've been fleeing and been safe and shared food and clothing. And so it's just beautiful as we lament to also see love, to see that kind of um, pulling together. And so we come with um, celebration over love and we also come with heaviness of heart. C.S. Lewis said this, life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace in difficulties. So we may not be protected from, but we are held through. We're in a series called Overcomer. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in part six as we're working our way through the letter that Peter wrote. It's the letter First Peter, and he wrote this to believers, this disciple of Jesus, to these believers that were scattered. They we're in Jerusalem first, Jews and Greeks alike, scattered to the five regions of Asia Minor, scattered, feeling like strangers, experiencing suffering from persecution. These words of Peter were to people that were going through it. And they still speak that same life to us today. First Peter chapter 4, I invite you to turn there. If you turn all the way to Revelation, turn a little bit to the left and you'll get to this letter. First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Thank you, River, for reading that so well for us. We'll get to that part that you read in a minute, but we'll start with verse 1. I appreciated you reading that. First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because those who have suffered in their bodies are done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. That's the best sound, isn't it? Because it means we're alive. Thank you, Ben, for your amazing family. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, 
living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in their reckless and wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regards to the spirit. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober mind so that you may pray, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, you should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, you should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter starts off in this section and he reminds us again, he keeps drawing us back to Jesus Christ. He keeps saying, because he is an overcomer, you are an overcomer. He keeps drawing us back to the suffering of Jesus. Because he went through this, because he faced this, you too can go through this too. I can imagine Peter there as Jesus shared instructions with his disciples. And there's one particular one. In this section, Peter is giving what's called exhortations. He's giving these instructions and he's pressing it on them. He's saying, this matters a lot. And he gives these instructions starting in verse seven, these exhortations, four of them, to all the believers. If you remember back to a couple weeks ago, in 1 Peter chapter two, he gives exhortations to those who live under authority, to slaves, to wives. You can go back and read those. And then he goes into some general ones and then now he's back to sharing with everyone. These four exhortations that the thing that leads up to it is Peter saying this matters so much. I want to impress this on you. There are some things that I don't want you to miss. Have you ever been at summer camp when they're explaining the rules to a group of kids? Anyone been to summer camp? And before you can do the water activity or before you can do something, I, I now see that hatchet throwing is on the list of approved activities for elementary school. I'm not sure, but I'm sure there's instructions that go with that too. But the ones I've witnessed is here's how your life jacket goes on, here's how you do this, and what's going on usually at that time? What? Don't put that in my ear! What? Ah! You know, they're just going on like that, and who's listening? You're wondering. No one's really paying attention. You've been that person maybe trying to, I need you to listen. Raise your hand if you can hear me. No one's raising their hand. Raise your hand if you can hear me. Uh, you're trying to, thank you. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. You're trying to get the message across because it matters so much. Then there are these other times when we pay special attention to instructions because we know it's a matter of life and death. My husband and I, a few years back, before kids, anyone with kids knows this is before kids, we went to Costa Rica and we decided, hey, rappelling down waterfalls, that sounds really awesome. The tallest one was like over 150 feet and you rappel down the waterfall and it just sounds awesome. So we went. I was listening to those instructions. The harness, the carabiner, how we do those steps, I was listening closely. 
Another time I remembered really listening closely is when we took Caleb's mom on the zip line. Now, my mother-in-law, if you, know, if you knew her before she passed away, she lived over 60 years with diabetes. She was type 1 diabetic from when Ava's age, she had diabetes, and so she was legally blind. And we said, why not take her zip lining? That sounds like a good idea. So I listened very closely to those instructions because we wanted to keep her safe. And she had a blast. She was, it was so fun. There are times when you lean in and you listen close. And Peter is saying, you're going through suffering, church. You're going through a lot. And I want you to listen up close. Because it's a matter of life and death for these believers. They're going through a lot. There was a time when Jesus was gathering his disciples close and Peter was one of those. And he was saying that there is an enemy. Adventists, we call this the great controversy. Perhaps you've heard this, that there is a struggle between light and darkness, good and evil. And Jesus says there are some things that are a matter of life and death for you. He said, there's an enemy that comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants us to have life to the full. And he told the believers, the enemy wants you to die. The devil wants to get lies into our heads, anything to cause us to miss out on life either physically being present or missing out on the abundance of life that Jesus wants to give us. You can kind of hear Peter flashing forward to this in 1 Peter chapter 5, that verse that he says in the next chapter that will be in, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He remembered those words of Jesus that was saying you have an enemy. Jesus could have used the word bios. Put out your fingers right now. Do you feel something on your neck or do you feel something on your wrist? Do you feel that feeling? You are alive. That's bios. That's your, your life, the life coursing through your body. But Jesus used the word zoe, which means spiritual vitality, abundance, fullness of life. Jesus says, I don't just want to keep your pulse and your breath, I want you to live fully. And there's an enemy that's trying to keep you from living fully. So Peter, I think, is flashing back on these as he exhorts the believers, not only just in how to stay alive, you're being persecuted, this struggle is going on, not just how to stay alive, but how to fully live. We could settle for something less, we could settle to just keep the breath going, but Jesus longs for us to have abundance of life. So I want to say this again. If you are struggling with depression, if thoughts that are happening in your mind are scaring you, like someone told me at the door after I said this a couple weeks ago, that they were going through that this week, that suddenly they felt like they just needed to end it all, talk to one of us. Because we need you. This world needs you. We need your light and your life. And so, not just your pulse, we want you to be abundantly living. Jesus longs for you to have fullness of life. So Peter starts with this fullness of 
the brokenness that comes from sin and he moved toward, moves towards these exhortations that lead to abundant life. In verses 1 to 6, he's describing sin and the brokenness that comes from sin. There are four ways, and I'm going to show you visually, there are four areas of brokenness that happen as a result of sin. The core relationships are between humans and God, human to human, to ourselves, and human to creation nature. In Genesis 3, when what happened, the fall happened, that there was this brokenness that came in our relationship. So sin is broken relationship. Either broken relationship between us and God and us and each other, between us and ourselves and the way we relate to creation. It's an evidence of brokenness. So if you might be hard on yourself and just saying, why do I keep going back to this? There's brokenness. And so a restoration of relationship is needed. This doesn't mean that we're soft on sin, but we're acknowledging what is at the core, what is at the root of sin. All of the stuff, the whole list of debauchery and this whole list that Peter gives is all a result of broken relationship. So Peter remembered hearing these words of Jesus, remain in me. And sometimes we expect to clean up our lives. We can read this whole list and say, I just want to clean up my life and live differently. But Jesus says, I don't expect you to be able to do this on your own. Remain in me and you will experience change. Have you ever walked around a vineyard and seen all those branches and vines all twisted there? I've always felt really connected to vineyards because my last name was Vineyard all growing up. And then we became Vin Cross when we got married. But as I walk through a vineyard and I can imagine Jesus saying, remain in me. I want to grow beautiful fruit in your life. I want you to be a living source of life. But that only happens when you remain in me. If you cut off the branch and you're trying to clean up your own life and you're trying to do it on your own, how much can a branch disconnected grow good fruit? It can grow nothing. So Jesus says, remain in me. All this wild living that Peter describes is when there's brokenness of relationship. All we need to do is be willing and open. And Jesus wants to grow the fruit in our lives. You have no power aside from the source of life. I have no power. We are invited to trust and to abide. So Peter says in verse 3, you spent enough time messing around with the stuff that the world has to offer. Why are you still messing around with this stuff? Come back to a restored relationship with Jesus. And then he goes into these four exhortations. Verse 7, he says, in light of the fact that it's all going to end, in light of the fact that at the end of all things is near, be sober-minded and alert so that you can pray. Now, thinking the end of the world is close can energize your prayer life, but I think it can also desensitize us because predictions of time and the soon, as people have understood it, have actually sometimes caused people to just step back from it all as if it wasn't real anymore. What Peter is saying is the end is close so that knowing that you and I will all have to give an answer and account draws us close into connection and into relationship. Now, I don't think I've, I've met very many Adventists that grew up Adventists that didn't have a fear of judgment at some point in their life. 
judgment and the second coming of Jesus was good news for the people Peter wrote to. Whenever it says the end is near or judgment is close or any of this, that was like, oh, rejoicing. That was exciting news because it meant the injustice and the pain that they were experiencing was going to stop. So think of it in light of good news. The end of all things is near. Oh, that brought good news to them. They were excited because they thought Jesus is coming. And so they were invited to pray like their life depended on it, to be energized in their prayer. That means that we don't just say stuff by rote. Have you ever found yourself laying in bed and saying, dear God, thank you so much for this day and thank you for the food that we're about to, what? Food. Because we get into these routines and habits of saying something or you're kneeling down with your kids and you say stuff and you're like, what was that? That's what scripture calls vain repetitions. It's when we say stuff that we're not connected to. But prayer is meant to be conversation. That as we realize, Pastor Steve said, the end of his rope as he was climbing those trees and using the chainsaw, holding on to the end of the rope, whenever we're at the end of our rope, when the end of all things is near, whatever that is, whatever that means in our lives, we have someone to talk to. Just like with my husband, my beloved, our conversation goes on as if it had not stopped. I pick up with him at the dinner table and then we pick up after the kids are going to bed and we talk as if nothing has stopped. That's the kind of conversation God wants to have with us. So when you encounter something as you're scrolling on social media, you're like, God, help. I don't know what to say, but they're going through so much. And then you encounter something else, and I'm not sure if I'm going to make it to my appointment. You're talking with God all the time. It's not constrained to Sabbath. It's not constrained to prayer time in the morning, whatever time that was for you. But it's conversation that just keeps going. So I believe Peter's injunction here, his exhortation, is to pray like your life depends on it. That means that keep it fresh, keep it alive. Maybe for you, you pray your prayers normally in your head, you're invited to write them down, or maybe you pray them out loud, or you get someone close to you and you hold your hand, their hands and you pray. Or for me, a lot this week was weeping and praying, falling face before God and saying, this is hurting. All these people going through so much. Whatever it is, he's inviting us. Don't let the pain in your life or the people around you keep you silent in your life with God. Pray. Let it draw you closer. The more you see the chaos, let it draw you closer to God. So he invites us to pray. I love how verse 7 translates this. He says, be intentional. Be purposeful and be self-controlled so that you can be given to prayer. This is what the praying without ceasing is all about. Do not stop praying, Peter says. Do you have someone in your life that's gone away from God or doesn't know who God is? Do not stop praying. You haven't seen an answer to your prayers yet. We're invited to not stop praying. Is your heart aching? Do not stop praying. Then in verse 8, he goes into the second one. Prayer, people. Love people deeply. 
Love deeply, love like your life depends on it. This church is threatened. They're experiencing persecution. They take comfort in the fact that Jesus is coming and Jesus is close to them. But in the midst of that stress, in the midst of that difficulty, he says, love deeply. Love each other because love covers over a multitude of sins. He's inviting us to let people get close to us. Let them love you. Let them see who you really are. When we're up close in each other's lives, we see each other's sins. We see each other's brokenness. That means the closer you get to me, the more you're going to see my humanity. The closer I get to you, the more I see your humanity. As you get closer, Peter says, love deeply. As you get closer and as you see who you really are, love deeply. Loneliness continues to be a problem that we're experiencing. Even as we've gone through some of the worst parts of this pandemic, loneliness and isolation still plague us and are particularly prevalent among those who are teenage and young adults. As I was reading this article this week, uh, they are at the most risk, though all of us experience this risk. There are extreme dangers, and especially during these months that we're in, in March and April, I've been told that these are the highest months for risk. Loneliness is as bad on your body as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. How's that for some research to encourage you Sabbath morning? Many of us have decided to avoid substances, and yet isolation from one another can have the same effect as taking those things into our body. So I want to challenge us today. Who prays for you? Who knows what's going on in your life? Who speaks to your value and your worth? Who reminds you of how God feels about you? It really takes trust to let someone encourage you. It takes so much trust to let someone know what you're really going through. Have you ever made that risk, letting someone know what you're really facing? Dr. Henry Cloud says Jesus was able to go through all of his suffering because he was in the relationship of eternal love. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit in a beautiful relationship of love for all eternity. That's how we are made in the image of God, meant to be in relationship, meant to be connected with each other. He says the reason we humans have so much trouble is that we're trying to live disconnected. So we're like an arm amputated from the body trying to live normally. But we need connection to the body. So Peter reminds them that as you're going through stress and persecution, love deeply. That means that we're requiring not only to know but to be known, to receive help as well as to give it. And for a lot of us, it's harder to give it. I mean, harder to receive it than to give it. In verse 9, the, second, uh, the third injunction, but the second part for people is show hospitality. He says to pray, to show hospitality, show love. Hospitality is a specific practice of love. Receiving people into their homes, making people feel welcome, meeting needs, providing fellowship. Peter exhorts them to show this kind of love that the whole Christian movement was dependent on from the beginning. Jesus and his disciples were often found in other people's homes. And he says, you will be provided for by others. So Peter says, pray, love your people, show that love through hospitality. And then the fourth and final exhortation in this section 
is do your part. Faithfully administer God's grace in its various forms. I love how he says this. He says, keep working with what you've been given all the way up until the day Jesus comes. We are meant to be found working. So there's these lists of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and in in, uh, Romans 12 and in Ephesians 4 that you can go to and you can discover what are my gifts. But I love how he says it because he says they're all grace in their various forms. So Jen has a particular grace of God And Gary has a particular grace of God. And Marcus, a particular grace of God. And it's all different. Mimi's looks different than mine, but we need everyone's particular grace of God. And he says, so don't stop doing your part. They say that's one of the most helpful things in the midst of receiving help for depression, that you also reach out to show love to others because in helping others, one another, we are also helped. So there is that, that full circle. He says, pray. Don't let this stop you from communion with God. Love each other deeply. Show hospitality and do your part. Keep showing up with the grace and love of God. Because like Matthew 24 says, that our love can grow cold in the midst of the chaos and he invites us to keep our love alive by continuing to show that love. We work, we pray, and we say, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We cannot bring about that day. It comes by direct intervention of God, the divine rescue in the advent of Jesus. But love continues to be the solution that God gives the Christian community. We face challenges as they did too, but loving each other deeply in all of these forms is the answer that Jesus gives us. Give love and receive it. Offer help and accept it. There are two overcomers that share their story that I'm so excited and eager for you to hear today. What went through my mind was, I gotta get out of here. I I literally, I was just, I was panicked. I was, you know, I was just, that was probably in my, in my whole life that I can think of the closest thing to panicking because I thought I was going to die. We'd like to share a story about a, a triathlon that Sandy and I did together. We actually trained together and it was up in Snow Valley ski area. And it was a, it was a cross triathlon. So it was out on the dirt trails and in a small lake there that they had. We really had no idea what we were getting into because this was a whole different field that we had never been exposed to. These athletes that show up to these off-road triathlons were way fathoms beyond what we had experienced before. Because we had done other triathlons, you know, on streets, on regular city streets in a swimming pool, and that was, you know, a piece of cake. I thought, you know, I don't need to train because I exercise a lot. So I said, what, you know, how hard could it be? So in the swim, we had to go around the lake twice. And uh, we started in the first group, but then the second group started after us. People in triathlons, normally polite people, change. Mm-hmm. When they're in the water, they are swimming over you. They are pressing your feet down and your feet need to be near the surface to keep yourself balanced. And, and people are whacking you and, and you're just looking around like, why are these people being so rude to me and in my space? But that's just what happens in a race like this. You feel like you're in a washing machine. I mean, literally there are people 
swimming not just next to you nearby, but over you, like you said. I mean, they're hitting you, they're on your back, and they were like machines, right? I mean, I just remember getting literally swam, swam over, swam over, I don't know, they were like ran over by people and their arms and legs were just kicking me. What went through my mind was, I gotta get out of here. I, I literally, I was just, I was panicked. I was, you know, I was just, that was probably in my, in my whole life that I can think of the closest thing to panicking because I thought I was going to die, literally. Because there's no, there's, there's no sides that you can just swim to and grab onto like in a pool. After that group came around and, and just sort of almost made me drown, I, I got out of the lake. So Sandy was still in there, and so she saw that I got out. So she was hanging on in the middle of this lake onto one of the lifeguards' uh, yeah, kayaks. kayaks. So she was hanging on there, and I said to her, Sandy, just go on ahead. I'm taking a DNF. Did not finish. I, I'm, I'm done. And she says, no, you have to get back in here or else I'm not going to go on. And I said, oh, man. He's on the shore leaning over trying to breathe, and he's like, Go, I said, go, go, just go, go and leave like, me. No, you come here because he's the one that got me to do this triathlon. So I'm not going to go on this by myself. I'm like, you're the reason I'm here. You're going to come and do this with me. So I felt bad. I did not want her to not finish, you know, because of me. So finally, after about 10, 15 minutes of back and forth, I got my breath back. So I finally got them back in the water. And then by then, most of the swimmers had gone. They were already gone. I think there's only like a handful of people left. And then after that, I thought, okay, the hardest part is done because for me, swimming is not not my forte, so I thought, okay, that's done. Got on the bikes, and we started riding up the mountain bike, the first trail, and immediately I got a major cramp. I'm like, oh, great. Make a long story short, what, what, what happened with the we, run? We had a few, well, we had a few stops with the bike, and it's like- We were taking pictures. Just get your, you know, get your cramp gone, we'll just keep riding, and yeah, it's, it wasn't like a race at that point, it was just like a ride, because- Survival, it was just survival. You know, there's no one around us, and we're just taking pictures and letting his leg rest. Then we get done with the bike ride and we think, okay, just a little run left. Just a little run. The person that's guiding you to where to go next, we get off our bikes, park them, then he points up the mountain. That's where you go. <laughs> when I got to that point, I was thinking, you know, I saw the hill, but I was thinking, okay, you know, we made it this far. It's only three miles, only three miles. So I said, I, you know, we can do this, but it was painful just to walk it. Again, it's, it's much harder cross country Triathlons in the mountains at altitude is much harder than, than you know, in the city or on surface streets. Yeah, it was, I was put, literally pushing my, my hands on my legs. I mean, it was, it was terrible. And, and they were literally picking up the course behind us. I mean, they were picking up the signage and all that. Because we were like literally the last ones out there on the course. There was one person behind us. It was, it was like an older person. An older person. Chugging along and we're like, ooh, we yeah, can't we, let them pass us. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're dying trying to keep ahead. The only thing left ahead was like the big finish. Everybody had gone. I mean, it was empty and, you know. The award ceremony was finished. So, well, when we crossed the finish line, I mean, I just felt relief. I mean, mm -hmm. just relief that we were done because I was so ready to be done. I felt quite victorious, even though nobody was there but my family to cheer us on. But I felt like it was quite an accomplishment because we powered through. We yeah. didn't feel prepared for this. We were out of our league, but we did it. Through life, sometimes we run into really tough situations. And first of all, I don't think we're meant to do things alone mm. in life. We really... Um, need to accept help when it's time to accept help and mm -hmm. that's hard sometimes but when we have someone to help us through this it halves the load it it makes it much more mm -hmm. doable mm -hmm. and you know turn something that seems impossible 
into something that you can make it through and um, have a um, good experience, even though it was really tough. Encouragement for each other, it goes a long way to helping you through the really tough parts of life. I, I totally agree. I mean, it was beyond what we anticipated. Uh, we got way in over our heads. And, uh, and if it wasn't for, for Sandy here, encouraging me. I mean, it was encouraging along the way, you know, say, oh, just one more hill. What, you know, I mean, that really kept me going because I really wanted to quit. You know, life is like that. You want to surround yourself with, with good friends who know when you need either a helping hand and, and your good friends will know that. Training ahead of time is, is also very important. So it's something I learned uh, from this, this uh, ordeal that I'll never forget. I'm Sandy Pappas. And I'm Ernie Medina Jr. And this is our story. Those two have been friends since elementary school, so they can do those kind of things together. I love their story. If you want to be an overcomer, Peter says, listen close. Jesus wants life abundant for you. There is an enemy who is seeking to pull you down. How we lean in, how we fight, how we overcome is pray, keep the conversation, the connection with God. Love our people deeply. Show hospitality and keep showing up with your part. Keep showing up, sharing the grace that God has given you that is unique to you that we would miss if we didn't have you. This is how we can overcome.